Welcome, traders, to the SPACs attack. Let's get it started. How we doing, traders? How we doing out there? I know it's been a tough, tough day, you know, watching your portfolios. Hey, this is why we always talk about trying to be closest to 10. But like always, guys, hey, you never know when the market can bounce. You know, one of the things is this is when you really got to start approaching your risk analysis and seeing if you're at least approaching the trades in the right way, in the right manner. So let's go ahead and let's bring in my man, the brains to the show, Chris Ketchy. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, Mitch? Yeah, another red day there in Spackland today. Uh, you know, we're we're just waiting to get some uh, some momentum and some you know exciting deals back into this market. And you know, as as I've been saying, you know, for probably since the start of the show, one of, one of the things I'd love to see happen is that there are too many spacks out there, right? We're we're just seeing continued, you know, new spacks announced, and I think you know. Maybe the, the sheer volume of them, um, you know, if we could pull back on that a little bit, I think that could actually, you know, be a be a positive for the SPAC market at this time. Yeah, it's a tough market out there right now. You know, one of the things is you got to just uh, kind of get your high conviction trades on. And, and that's, that's what I'm trying to focus on here, guys. I'm staying in my high conviction trades and I'm pulling some off switching some capital if i feel that i'm not as confident in the SPACs management or maybe uh i don't think it's going to be announced anytime soon i've gone and i've covered those positions and used that capital to go ahead and average down on certain positions to give myself a, a potential in my high conviction trades um, but let's go ahead and let's get into some of the headlines today i know that everyone wants to hear some headlines so take us back chris All right, guys. Yes, yeah, so the top story out there, of course, is, you know, SPACs continue their sell-off. You know, that's the, the broad-based story here. But as we dive in, into some headlines, some individual names. So up first, we have XL. This is XL Fleet, former SPAC. We've talked a lot about it. We've actually been talking a lot about it lately, um, you know, possible uh, buying the dip opportunity. So yesterday, Muddy Waters came out with a short report on XL. They said they are short the stock. Um, they called it uh, SPAC garbage, said that the real green tech is duping investors and customers through exaggerations, half-truths, and mistruths. Uh, they had a former Excel salesperson uh, interviewed that said that it's an exaggerated pipeline, um, you know, a minimum of four times a year. They would, you know, change the pipeline. And they essentially said, you know, that the technology is weak, no proprietary tech. So, you know, it's not going to be a competitor in the EV market. Um, XL did respond today. Um, not a lot of color from them, but they called the report uh, saying it had numerous factual inaccuracies, misleading statements, and flawed conclusions. They're going to issue a full response um, to all the points at some time. Then up next, we have, uh, <coughs> we have Fuse, 
F-U-S-E. They, of course, are taking Money Lion public. They made an acquisition of technologies. Um, so keep an eye on that one, you know, in that space. We did have a new SPAC um, announced yesterday. And again, as we talk about these new SPACs, below that $10 level, one of the um, markets that we've seen, uh, you know, trade up on deals is space. So we have a new SPAC called Space Exploration. Ticker is going to be O-U-T-R-U. They're looking to raise over $300 million. They're going to target that space economy, focusing on subsectors like launch vehicles, remote sensing, satellites, spacecraft, and spacecraft components, and also space. Um, so they're looking for a company valued at $1 billion or more. So again, you know, keep an eye out, you know, on that as, again, the space sector has seemed to perform pretty well from some of these uh, SPACs. Then Fisker FSR, so I am long this stock. This was a top stock in 2021. Um, it had been, you know, going up. So Henrik Fisker, again, on Twitter, yesterday that their reservation numbered their, their top five countries. So the, the U.S. with 11,420,000 reservations, that's out of 15,000 plus, followed by Canada, Denmark, the U.K., and Ger Germany. Um, so he also said reservations from China will come by the end of this year. Key catalyst to watch when they go live with taking those reservations for the Fisker Ocean in China. Yesterday's deal, that streaming company, released VMAC, shares ended the day down 2%. Our big mover yesterday, we had HZON up 12% on that rumor with Sport Radar. And then I want to share before we get into rumors and deals, we did have a tweet today from Julian Klamachko, a friend of the show, the King. He said, despite SPACs trading like death over the past two weeks, there were still eight SPAC IPOs raising an aggregate $2.6 billion today. Four of those deals were upside. There is still some demand, um, at least from institutional investors and the ETFs and you know hedge looking at these SPAC units. Then turning hey, Chris, to our room. I, I want to interrupt you here for one second. Just, uh, I'm trying to get your internet back here. Give, give you a second so that we could actually hear you clearly. And you're you're breaking up a little bit, so I want to make sure that everyone can hear these headlines well here. Um, well, Chris, go ahead and get his internet kind of rolling back. It should come back. It looked like you was running perfectly right before it. So, just want to make sure that at least we can hear you well. So. Uh, all right, so definitely, you know, new specs. I'll definitely be watching. You know, the king, Deek. my man Julian, definitely mentioning those, and they're still coming out. So at least um, that's a good sign. You know, eight specs raising money, two point six billion. That that's that's that shows at least they're still coming out. And so we'll see if that kind of gets turned back. Um, Chris is going to try to get his internet fixed and come right back here so that we can have some good internet for the interview also. But definitely, guys, smash the like button. If you guys are enjoying SPAC's attack, you know, we work hard to get you guys this information. I'm going to keep watching on some of these. You know, that XL, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and see what happens there. I think what it is is also, I mean, with this pullback and then a negative catalyst, that, that, that definitely hurts, you know, um, and, and when, when you have a market like that, it's going to hurt when you get a negative catalyst market already heading down and then a negative catalyst on top of that puts that, you know, that downward pressure to, to come on in. Looks like we got Chris back and he's looking great. So go ahead, Chris, take back over.
Are we all good? Connection looks stable here. So uh, turning to our rumors, our deals. So yesterday we had Quell, Q-E-L-L, rumored to be taking Lilium public. This is an urban air, air mobility company. So this one a little while. Um, again, the urban air mobility market is getting a little crowded. We've had several announced deals with SPACs. So keep an eye out on ACIC which is bringing Archer public, EXPC, which is bringing Blade public, and RTP, which is taking Joby Aviation public. I do own shares of RTP, and I will know ACIC and EXPC have both been added um, to the ARC funds with Kathy Wood. So uh, any of these urban air mobilities go public, there is the chance that they you know, make a appearance in the ARC funds as that is one of her growth area at urban air mobility. And our other rumor is that uh, Flipkart, which Walmart owns, is exploring a SPAC to go public. This one, you know, going to have to dive in and do some more searching because they said that the company could be valued at $35 billion. Um, that would, of course, be the, the largest SPAC in history if one of them gets a piece of that business. So keep an eye out as we look to some of these, uh, you know, SPACs maybe targeting the international market. And then turning to our deals, we had RTPZ. Technology Partner Z announced a merger with Hippo Insurance, a home insurance company. So this was rumored for a while with the other ticker RTP from Mark Pincus and Reed Hoffman, but it looks like all along, you know, they've been uh, searching around at Hippo. So fiscal 2021 revenue projected at $87 million, up 38%. Fiscal 22 revenue, $151 million, up 74%. This deal valued the company at $5 billion. So, you know, you take a look at some of those revenue projections and then the $5 billion valuation. RTPZ is actually selling down on the day on that deal announcement. Then our other deal, SOAC, Sustainable Opportunities Acquisition Corporation, they announced their deal with Deep Green. This one was rumored as well. This is a new method of mining for metals used in electric vehicles uh, underwater. So they estimate that they have one of the largest uh, resources for battery metals for electric vehicles um, by the sea floor. So this values the company at $2.9 billion. Deep Green is going to change their name to the metals company and trade under the ticker TMC. Current SOAC shareholders will own 12% of the company. So again, they're you know that largest and highest grade estimated source of battery metals um, on the seafloor, they think they can lower the production costs, have you know better metals, and also reduce the social and environmental impact that current miners have. This is the Pacific Ocean floor is where they're targeting. Those minerals mined include nickel, cobalt, copper, and manganese. Partners on the project, they have Glencore, you know, one of the largest mining companies out there. Um, so they estimate that they have resources in their contracted areas sufficient to power 280 million electric vehicles, which represents a quarter of the global passenger car fleet. And they want to be one of the lowest nickel producers out there um, in terms of cost. So no revenue expected until 2024. Uh, that's an estimate of 201 million. And then fiscal 2025, 1.2 billion, and all the way out to 2034, 4.8 billion dollars. I do own shares of SOAC. Again, it's away from revenue, but I think this is an interesting technology 
to to mine for minerals on the seafloor. Um, you know, so keep an eye out on going forward. And then we turn to our calendar. Tomorrow is the vote for CFII on that merger with View Inc. And then, you know, next week we get into a couple more deals. And we'll also have earnings from RSI, Rush Street Interactive, next week. So that's what I've got for headlines and those deals, Mitch. All right, all right. So definitely, hey, deals coming out. And I'm not seeing that much of a reaction anymore. Um, so definitely, um, it's almost like I, I, I don't want my SPACs to announce right now. I'm like, yo, hold on tight. Wait for the market to bounce and then, and then give me some news, you know. And, and maybe our, my, my SPACs can bounce back here. Um, but let's take a look at our watch list here because I know a lot of people are worried about their own watch list. So might as well take a look at ours, right? All right, guys. So first things first, as you guys can see, XL Fleet down about 7%, down towards 12.85. A lot of SPACs have been taking the hits um, from 16, 14s and heading down close towards those $10. So you got to be careful in those. This is why I always, this, this is why my strategy has always been at 10, no more than 11. And that's where I kind of stick to for my entries because at the end of the day, I don't do these to do momentum trades. I do these more as swing trades. Um, so I'm looking for like, you know, two to three weeks out um, to get that potential reward. And, 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 you know, that's just what you have to approach. You have to see what your strategy is in SPACs right now. I, I know like Chris, Chris is more of a long-term investor in these and, and looking to hold these for, for a certain amount of time. So that, that's a different approach, you know, and then so sometimes you, you are going to have to cut some losses. Sometimes you can't just hold on tight. It, it depends on what you're looking for. Are you swing trading, day trading? Are you investing? How's your approach in the market? And I think that's what's the important thing to kind of figure out right now. Are you going to be trading these or, or are you sticking tight and, and holding to your entry? So, Chris, how, how do you feel right now in this overall market? Yeah, you know, again, I'm, I'm more of a long-term trader or holder. Um, I don't do as much of the day trading or the swing trading. I'm trying to find SPACs, right, with good management teams where I think they can get, you know, that, that great deal, maybe that pop on day one announcement, which, again, we haven't seen as much of. Or, you know, these, these SPACs where they've announced deals for, for good targets over the long term. You know, and I think in the long run, you know, valuations will come back again. As I've said, you know, there, there are a lot of SPACs out there. So I think, you know, we're, we're going to see a pullback on the valuations. We're not going to see as many of these pre-deal, you know, $14, $15 ones, right? Where we used to see, you know, Chamas SPACs, um, Ajax, so some of these, you know, high profile SPACs trading at $14, $15 before they announce a deal. I just, I don't know if I see that as much. There's Pershing Square. There. So that one's over $33. You know, again, this is from 20 is where this started, not 10. But, you know, the, the valuation, the premium is pulling back. And I think that's important. And, you know, I, I think that needs to happen, right? We need to see less SPACs. And then we need to see lower premiums going into the deals because then that may create those deal pops again, which is what, you know, right. help power the SPAC market. If you have all these SPACs trading at 14, 15, you announce a deal again, when that deal is announced, it is based on $10 a share. So when they say, you know, a $5 billion deal, 
that's based on $10 a share. When it's already trading at 15, you know, you're already over seven, $8 billion in valuation just like that. So then, you know, valuation plays a key. So I am looking now more at buying units of newer SPACs because they are all trading, you know, down to the $10 level. You can sit on these. Again, they have two years to announce a deal. So if you have like an IRA, you can buy some of these units. You can sit on them. And I think, you know, a couple months from now, you're going to be, you know, real happy that maybe you lowered your risk by buying some of these units at $10. You get that floor price of 10 and you also get those free warrants with your units. So that's where I'm looking right now is some of the, the unit strategy more than the, uh, you know, the deals or the, the pre-deal commons. Well, like always, guys, you know, there's always going to be a hater, guys. So TH, the hater today, guys, we're not pushing any spec, man. We don't we don't push any spec. That's not what we do here on Specs Attack, guys. We inform you so that you can make your informed trade. And that's what we're trying to call out here, guys, is that this is when you got to go ahead and have your information. Know what your risk assessment is. Know how you're approaching your trades and also keeping your math probability. You know, a lot of people don't like to talk about probability in their trading, but this is one thing that I keep in my mind every trade. Because at the end of the day, one thing I want to focus on is that math can be on my side, guys. And so one thing you want to focus on is the profit to loss ratio. So what was your risk to reward? Usually for me, that's going to be three to one or four to one. So essentially, I only need to be 25 or 33% accurate to be break even. And this is so vital, guys. And this is why I bring up the probability aspect often, guys. And that's why I want to be so close towards 10 because I want to have a risk measurement where my profit to loss ratio is that three to one look, that four to one look. And then that's how I approach these swing trades. All right, guys. So I wanted to pull out some some tickers that are actually under 10 here and, and just kind of run through them really quickly. CLOV, man, down towards 70.83. We did, definitely didn't expect that one. It, it keeps heading down. We'll see when this one balances out. Right now, uh, I definitely stay long away, but we'll see what happens with CLOV. Um, you got CFII taking a dip now down towards 925 on this one. Definitely not something I want to see. Um, and if we start seeing breaks of nines, that's when I, I would definitely start being careful. Um, another one down at 990 right now, BHSE. Um, so that one's going to be interesting to see if it can hold these 990s. Uh, we have a low on the chart of nine, 985. So we'll see if that 985 holds. Uh, IGAC down towards 998. And then last one. I, I kind of mentioned here the one we had on yesterday, guys. Opportunity, guys. Omni Channel Acquisition Corp down towards 998. Has a low on the chart towards 991. So that's kind of what I'd pay attention today. Today we actually broke it by one cent, 990. So that's why I kind of pay attention and see if they can hold and, and get back up. Um, but those are some that are, are underneath 10. So we'll have to take a look and see how they go ahead and react. And like always, guys, it, this is why I, I always stay, guys, as close to 10 as possible so that you can limit the risk on the downside. All right, guys. So I, I want to get into our interview. You know, I know that's why a lot of people are here. So let's let's go ahead and let's get in towards that, Chris. Bring on our guests and let's get in towards App Harvest.
All right, perfect. So again, guys, we have another exciting interview for you. Joining us on SPACs Attack today, we have David Lee. He is the president of App Harvest. That is ticker APPH. He joined as the president of App Harvest in January, reporting to founder and CEO Jonathan Webb. Prior to that, he was with Impossible Foods. So welcome to the show, David. It's a pleasure to join you. Welcome, welcome. I, I know it's been a, a tough market, so we're happy to have you on. You know, let's go ahead and let's learn about App Harvest. Let's unlock it. And, and I'll be off right quick. I'm going to let Chris ask some questions and I'll be back with some of my own. Well, great. Let me tell you about App Harvest. You know, I joined the board of this company back in August. And, you know, I had been looking for a company like this as an operator since my days running the food business at Del Monte uh, back in the early 2000s. And for me, the chance to make a better food company, not just great products that don't have these chemical pesticides, you know, don't damage uh, the, the climate and the planet and are better for you, but a better food company, meaning from seed all the way to how we treat our employees, uh, taking advantage of creating jobs in central Appalachia, uh, replacing some of those old jobs from coal mining with great skilled labor, really trying to demonstrate that investors and consumers are ready for not just a better product, but a better food company is the opportunity we're creating. And we're doing well. We just uh, raised our annual net revenue outlook, um, our first at-scale farm, this climate-controlled ag farm at Moorhead, Kentucky. Uh, had a banner uh, day uh, just last week, and we're super excited to, to help make a difference in the world. Awesome. Can you, so, you know, you mentioned Del Monte, and then also, you know, I saw Impossible Foods. Can can you give us a little bit more uh, background on your experience within the, the food industry and how that plays into App Harvest and maybe the growth? Yeah, my background most recently was to launch the business at Impossible Foods with Pat Brown. I was the chief operating officer and CFO um, starting in 2015. You know, back then, Pat had this great technology, this vision that you could make a delicious burger out of plants that meat eaters would crave that no one really believed in. Uh, and what an honor to launch a business and set that company on its path. It's, it's done so well. And uh, after five great years and exercising every single one of my options, I'm a big believer in Impossible Foods. Um, I wanted to get back to my roots, if you will. Um, I spent nearly eight years at Del Monte. Its ticker was DLM, a public company uh, from 2004 to 2012. Uh, ran the food business there, a couple billion dollars of global brands like Del Monte and Contadina and Starkist Tuna. And I felt even from my days in big ag at a, at a public company that if only I had a clean sheet of paper and great team and a great mission that I, I always believed we could build a better food company, something that consumers could stand for. And here you have App Harvest, um, newly minted on the NASDAQ, ticker APPH. Um, you know, this, this mighty little company is producing annually 40 million uh, tons of product coming out of its first farm, and we want to have 12. And it's everything from recycling the rainwater in central Appalachia, so we use 90% less water, to stop trucking in the two-thirds of all vine crops that we import. Um, we eat these products, and they've been sitting on trucks covered in chemical pesticides. They've been bred to be stuck on a truck for days. Why not create something wholesome 
create great American jobs and create product that's better. Uh, you know, we're within 70% of uh, the buying public uh, where we produce in central Appalachia. And I have high hopes uh, that we will create an epicenter uh, for better food right here in the U.S. Perfect. So, you know, one of the things that stood out from this SPAC deal was, you know, Harvest has been able to attract some top names. So, you know, we see Steve Case from AOL. You have Martha Stewart, um, NBA, uh, Blake Griffin. So can you talk about how App Harvest was able to land some of these big names to this deal? Well, you know, I can, I can only speak to how I was recruited. Um, I was recruited to the board initially in August uh, by a gentleman on our board named Jeff Ubbin. Uh, and if you follow the investor space, Jeff is a bit of a rock star. I mean, he founded and was CEO of ValueAct, a very large successful investment firm in the Bay Area. And in January, he left at the pinnacle of his career, ValueAct, to essentially do a great job in creating inclusive capital. And I think all of us, Martha Stewart, JD Vance, uh, Jeff, myself, our founder CEO, Jonathan Webb, we were all attracted by the same mission, the chance to give investors a fabulous return, consumers a better wholesome product, and investors uh, the ability to believe in a true ESG play, um, almost a pure ESG play. Um, I think all of those things combined, it just was too intoxicating not to say yes uh, to join the team. And then how quickly, uh, from my time in August to when the Novus Capital merger announcement occurred in September to now we're trading uh, the third week of January under our own ticker at NASDAQ under APPH, things have really um, taken off uh, since the team got assembled. Perfect. So I want to get a little bit So, you know, right now focused on fresh produce, you know, tomatoes being the key. What does the, the product roadmap look like, um, you know, beyond tomatoes and could it ever get beyond, you know, fresh produce as well? Well, if you think about the technology of today, you know, our approach is different than a lot of these other companies that I root for. You know, I'm, I'm happy to see success elsewhere. It's such a big need. But our approach is different. You know, our first farm is a little under 2.8 million square feet, right? 60 acres. Um, under glass in Moorhead, Kentucky, where the climate appears to be getting wetter. We go at scale, we go big, and we go big with cutting edge technology, whether it's the nano bubble technology to make the water nutrient rich, to uh, leveraging passive solar, to the AI and how rich our data is. You know, we can monitor these plants. Um, it means that we think we can do 30 times the yield of a, of a typical farm. And, and that's not limited to the beefsteak tomatoes uh, and the tomatoes on the vines we've talked about. Um, we are interested not just in tomatoes, we're interested in all vine crops. And we have the ability uh, now under our own steam to, to do this for everything that the, the public would enjoy eating. We're just starting not to get ahead of our skis on our first at scale facility and in our first harvest. Uh, and the good news is as you saw us release in the last week, uh, things are going really well. Um, in many cases, the climate uh, challenges you see hit the country, like in Texas and other places. While sometimes our employees have a little bit of trouble getting into work, the reality is we are more resilient to climate because we have a controlled environment agricultural system. Um, and we hope that makes a difference both to the environment, but to the consumers uh, as well. Can you talk a little bit about that first um, you know, crop? 
So tomatoes delivered to some national grocer companies. You know, I see Walmart and Kroger listed as partners in that investor presentation. Can you talk a little bit about those partners like Walmart and Kroger, and then maybe some areas or some uh, companies that are being targeted uh, with the tomatoes? Sure. You know, our approach is to do what we do really well, uh, which is to create a great brand around a great product um, produced by a company that treats employees better. I mean, we are really focused on that. And the good news is we've been able to partner uh, with retailers who, who indicate that demand is not the problem to solve here. I, I think every tomato that we produced has been readily put into the market. And if anything, the challenge is until we create these other farms we've talked about, these 12 at scale uh, climate controlled agriculture farms by 2025, it might be hard to continuously find the app harvest brand in stores. Um, but that is uh, soon to be changed just as we ramp up supply. Uh, I was just on the phone with one of those um, retailers recently. And, you know, we're talking not just about our execution of dis distribution. We're talking about how important this is to them to have now something that is grown in the United States that their, their consumers want that hasn't been trucked in from somewhere um, over many days. Uh, so, so far, our feedback has been quite strong uh, from our partners in retail. Perfect. So, you know, you've mentioned a couple times uh, the goal of getting to 12 facilities. Um, can you walk us through a little bit of, you know, what the timeline looks like on adding additional facilities and where they will be located? Well, you know, we've only released so far uh, our plans to do at least 12 uh, facilities by 2025. Um, I can point you to the advantages that are seen already in our first facility because you would expect any company to take advantage of its strengths. One is location by um, situating, for example, our first farm in Moorhead, Kentucky. We're within 70% of the buying population within a day or two. And what that means is our product can be um, delivered without all the diesel being chewed up from the two thirds of vine crops that are imported from outside the United States that are consumed here in the US. Another advantage is climate. You know, it, it appears that the climate where we are situating Moorhead is getting wetter and wetter and, and being able to recycle the rain, rainwater means that we save 90% of the water that you would typically use up in the course of making our products. Um, and, and I guess the last big advantage is, is the team. You know, having thousands of employees show up for just a few hundred jobs, you know, being able to partner with local universities and high schools and, and, and give them the training to have a great career as skilled uh, employees that could potentially work in these greenhouses that are, are really about the future is, is a way to renew the economy in central Appalachia, which has had such difficulty in the past with what's happened with coal mining. I think all of those things are great predictors of what we may choose to, to leverage in our additional facilities by 2025. As for the specific locations, um, I think we've only mentioned a couple, both of which are in, the, in central Appalachia, so I don't want to um, get ahead of myself. Um, but I would expect that you would see, similar to Moorhead, um, great sources of new jobs producing wholesome product in the United States within a drive of most of the population. 
Yeah, you know, that's actually what I wanted to point out here. So I'll, I'll, pull, I'll pull up the investor presentation here. And so you can see uh, the supply chains and, and kind of eliminating that lengthy supply chain. So how 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 is this kind of your approach and the strategy? And also, uh, you know, you, you talked about it, location, location, location. And I can clearly see that you guys are focused on that. Um, it was just literally it was kind of funny what i had in my notes was literally location and, and you said it right right on the head so it's going to be interesting to see how you guys take this advantage and why is the appellation giving you that advantage well you know we you can't change mother nature i think um having a locale that could benefit as the climate gets wetter is important but i also think it's important as a corporation you know we are a certified b uh, corporation or we're, we're a benefit corporation. I think we're one of very few that have both of those designations that are trading publicly. What does that mean? It, it means we really do hold ourselves to a higher standard and being able to create new jobs, more skilled labor, being able to pay our employees a living wage in comparison to the incumbent industry, which uh, so many of us uh, worry about how produce is made largely outside the country, how well off are the employees of those other companies. Um, for us, where we're located is not just about climate and access to customers. It's about building a better company, a better food company. Um, and while we have a lot to do, I mean, here we are only a few weeks uh, as our uh, traded company under APPH. Um, so a lot of our aspiration is yet to be realized, but I think we're off to a great start. You know, it, it's such a great thing to see a brand new large at scale facility harvest for the first time and to see, you know, 120,000 pounds come off on a banner day and to be able to raise our annual outlook for net revenue is um, I think a lot of momentum and a great start uh, to hopefully a great year. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely would mention that, you know, you're not only affecting, you know, your, your business itself. I, I saw on the investor presentation, you know, these are some of the toughest hit areas right now with a kind of unemployment. And, and I think you're definitely making a change in the region and, and changing people's lives, not only a company, but also changing their lives because giving them an ability to find new technology and, and a new way to really get the product out there that the demand is as asking for. This is our hope, you know, it, it's such a popular idea. It seems to transcend every household, every ideology. Like who is, who, who is not for uh, new skilled American jobs producing product without chemical pesticides that could taste better, be better for your health, that um, leverage climate change. You know, it, it's, um, again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We have a lot to prove and a lot to do, but we are super excited about um, our beginning. Uh, and really hopeful we can demonstrate to your listeners that it's it's a great investment to make over time. Yeah, perfect. So, you know, one of the things that stood out to me from the investor presentation is that App Harvest is operating under the belief of the third wave of sustainability infrastructure. So talking about, you know, the first wave being renewable energy, the second being the electrification of automotive and transportation, and now the third wave being sustainability for agriculture. Can you talk a little bit about that and why it's so important, you know, as a ESG company here? Yeah, you know, we all have our different philosophies of how do you make positive change? I'll tell you um, what I believe is that you have to be self-reliant. You have to give every investor a superior return. 
Uh, and that's true with the ESG investor. It's true with retail investors. It's, it's true with the large institutions that have invested in us. Um, but at the same time, if, if you can create almost an ecosystem of investors, consumers, suppliers, employees, who are all financially benefiting by doing good for the, con the, the country and for the climate, uh, you can create a virtuous cycle. Um, and what you saw at Impossible Foods, um, what you're seeing today at App Harvest, what you've begun to see in other renewable uh, industries, whether it's uh, mobility that's powered through electricity versus oil and gas, or what you're now seeing in food, these things can come together rather quickly. Um, I think it's very hard to pull off the positive change that we seek without delivering a superior financial return. And our approach is to meet investors right where they want to be met with a great financial uh, investment, but also do more than that. Uh, appeal to consumers who want to feel better about the food they're putting in their bodies. They, they want to feel better about the, in, in the company that they're putting their capital in. Um, and when you can do all of it, uh, you can create this ecosystem that can make a positive difference. I sometimes use the term that economists use, uh, which is what's called a positive externality, you know, a positive impact to society that's not priced in to the cost of doing business, but happens to be delivered. Um, that's the approach that we've been taking at App Harvest, and um, I'm hopeful uh, that it'll pan out. Perfect. So, you know, there was a note out um, yesterday or the day before talking about acquiring that flagship uh, property in Kentucky, that controlled facility. Can you talk a little bit about um, that filing that we got and what it means for App Harvest? Yeah, you know, we, um, our, your first uh, facility is special. It's close to our headquarters. Um, it's a strategic asset because think of all the productivity and innovation. Think about all the new technology that we're gonna be putting into more than just our first facility and all of them. So owning your own first facility allows you to have a strategic uh, degree of control. Uh, but what's great about this acquisition of Moorhead is it also is a great source of return for our equity investors. By purchasing Moorhead, we forego such large lease expense that even on an unlevered basis, it's quite attractive. And then imagine uh, that by owning hard assets, real assets worth over a hundred million dollars, there's plenty of way for us to tap lower cost capital in order to lever the return for our investors. It's, it's an example of what we just talked about, um, providing investors a superior uh, returning decision, but creating a strategic benefit for us to innovate and continue along our mission. Um, that is what we announced. We also announced that we had raised our outlook uh, in terms of our net revenue uh, for 2021. Uh, which was also wonderful. Uh, it, it goes to a great start to a year and hopefully a very smart decision that is a good example of doing well and doing good at the same time. Yeah, perfect. That was going to be my next question was in that state for a company that recently completed a SPAC deal to go ahead and raise it. So, you know, can you just share some more color on that, what we're looking for out of fiscal 2021 um, in terms of revenue and how close in terms of um, profit, profitability going forward? Well, we're just getting going. And um, as we released in, uh, in December when we had our analyst day, 
Um, each farm at capacity is going to be a source of financial return, but uh, it'll take us a little bit of time to ramp up our supply. Again, demand isn't the issue. It just takes us time to ramp up. Um, for this year, um, we are uh, guiding to a higher outlook for our net revenue, um, something in the 21 to $25 million range. Um, and we provided some guidance on the fact that, you know, we planted uh, 30 uh, of our, say, 60 acres in our first facility, but we're still in the process of ramping up Moorhead. Um, so you'll see that in the course of the year, the quarterly flow that achieves our, our annual outlook of net revenue builds. Um, but we're on track. Uh, it's early, um, but we're quite hopeful, which is why we raised our uh, annual outlook. Um, so while we're, while we're just getting going, it, it looks like uh, we're off to a good start. Awesome. So, uh, you know, I'm seeing some great questions fly in from our chat here. Um, you know, again, all these people watching this interview live. So I'm wondering if uh, you can answer some of these. Uh, one of our questions, uh, Chris says, could your product make healthy eating more affordable? So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the cost advantages um, that your company may have and how that could impact the overall price of some of these better for you foods? Well, you know, we've always um, talked about the need to build these at scale, large greenhouse farms um, that can deliver affordable prices to our consumers. And um, as a result, if you if you think about how do we do that? Well, because of everything I just described, you know, we think we have a 30 times improvement in yield versus a typical farm and incumbent industry farm. Well, that yield results in more productivity and more yield, um, which means that we can share uh, some of that cost benefit with our investors, of course, but also with the consumers. Um, so we're very committed. You know, our founder, uh, Jonathan Webb, says it best. He sometimes talks about the fact that the, the products that we make are premium in quality, but are priced every day. Um, and that's something that uh, we hope to deliver against. What's interesting is, because our products have so many superior benefits, because people really want um, US made, they wanna know where their food is grown. They wanna know that it does, it's not covered with chemical pesticides or it took days to ship in from outside the country. There's probably a greater willingness to pay for our product. But uh, right now we're just focused on making as much of it as we can and ensuring that there's a fair price in market for um, our first tomatoes. All right, excellent. So I'm actually gonna go ahead and pull up the investor deck here and, and talk a little bit more about the controlled indoor versus open field growing. I mean, you guys can see open field growing here, guys. And and, and what, what ends up happening, what at least stands out to me the most would really be the production yield. And, and from 30X to 1X, I mean, you guys can see the numbers for yourself, but how is this gonna be the future for the next, you know, next generation in farming for us, David? Well, listen, one in 10 consumers eat enough fruit and vegetable. Um, by the way, it's so nice to be growing a business whose products are fundamentally wholesome. Um, and so the demand will grow because people are increasingly realizing what's good for their health and what's good for the planet. But even as demand increases, if you think about our ability taking app harvest out of the equation, if you think about um, what the, U the UN, what United Nations projects by 2050, we simply can't make enough food the way we make it. Um, so whether 
you believe that app harvest is going to solve be be part of the solving the problem or not somebody has to because um, the world has a problem so it, i think it's inevitable that innovation um, combines with good old-fashioned capitalism to uh, grow companies like app harvest that are going to make a positive difference the yield piece is important when you can achieve 30 times greater yield what, what is that? That's a source of financial return that creates self-reliance and the ability to share it with investors and lower prices with consumers. But it's also fundamentally better for the planet because you're using less, you know, we use 90% less rainwater, for example. Um, that's what I mean about being a certified B corporation and, and a public benefit corporation. You know, we, we do well by our investors by doing well by our consumers in the world. Um, and yield is a great... Uh, a great example. You, you hit it on the head that that is something that's critical for all of our stakeholders. Yeah, definitely. And then I'm pointing out right here, you know, the 90% less water usage and also uh, what points out here, 80% less diesel expected to be used in the transportation. And I think this is massively important here, especially as we're seeing the EV and, and kind of the industry changing here. Um, I think this is very important. You know, if we're going to be sustainable in our food, why not be sustainable in our transportation? And, and, and this could be an aspect that goes into a whole bunch of different ways of our lives. Absolutely. I so, mean, think about it. We um, People talk about eating locally. Well, when most of the products we consume in the U.S. are trucked in over days from outside the country, country um, we're so far away from eating locally when you're talking about the mainstream consumer. Uh, so creating a solution in central Appalachia to reach 70% of the population is a big part of that. Um, I also think about the, the ability to produce 365 days a year. You know, our, our model is um, it, it's just less vulnerable to the whims of the weather and to how climate will change. Uh, and as a result, while we need to prove this out, we're only in our you know, first couple of months of those 365 days, the, the model could deliver more reliability uh, in addition to, we hope, um, a better product. Awesome, so I know we got a couple more chat questions here. If we can get to before we let you go, again, thanks for your time today. We have a question here from Thomas. Um, I think this is an important one. So, you know, as we watch your, your interview today, how are your products branded? How would we be able to identify them in a Walmart or Kroger store? Well, we believe in, in the fact that consumers have already demonstrated that they're willing to trust trusted brands. I mean, I've already mentioned I spent nearly eight years at Del Monte Foods and uh, Del Monte, Dole, Chiquita. There's so many examples of um, a consumer saying, you know, I, I want to have something that I believe in. Um, we think the App Harvest brand can deliver something even more than the brands of the past. It can deliver um, trust and safety and a great product, but it can it can deliver the idea that you're helping the mission and the country uh, by purchasing our products. Um, we need to have reliable supply to have a reliable presence in store to have great branding. Um, so we're just getting going, but you should expect over time to see the app harvest, you know, our, our icon are a series of hills inspired by the origin story of the company in central Appalachia. And you should expect to see that branding so that you know uh, that what you're eating is better, um, hopefully made by a better company. Um, so that will come over time. Perfect. And then I see one last question here from the chat. 
So they asked um, if you would be looking at growing other produce, which we already got. But the second part of uh, the question was talking, are tomatoes the most profitable plant to grow? So maybe why choose tomatoes uh, first here for app harvest? Well, I think a big part of it is the sheer size of the market. Um, it is one of those crops, um, the, the millions of tons that are consumed every uh, year in the country was part of the decision-making. Uh, I think part of the decision-making was to pick a first crop that could prove the story, which I hope we're doing already, but we're not limited to tomatoes. You know, when we talk about vine crops, you know, we're talking about things like cucumbers and peppers, not just tomatoes. And there's nothing preventing us to have facilities one day that produce leafy greens, you know. Um, when you when you go outside the United States and you travel to, for example, Holland, if you travel to the Netherlands, you know, you can visit um, farms that are enormous in size, producing everything you can imagine for Europe. Um, you know, and in some ways, we hope to be creating a bit of the Netherlands um, at scale right here in the United States in central Appalachia. Um, so I, I think that there are good precedents and examples uh, of the of the new products that eventually we'll be providing um, beyond our first. All right. So the last last thing I have would be on lighting technology. Um, how do you guys differ here? Is it LEDs? Are you using a mix? H how does this work, David? Before we get you out of here, I thought it was important to touch. Yeah. You know, um, we have a we have a hybrid lighting array, and and this technology is super important. Um, we have the ability to apply higher levels of light to plants without the radiant heat you know, a far less amount of radiant heat. Uh, and that comes from LED. We also leverage passive solar. You know, wh why not use the sun uh, to, to minimize as much of the expense as we can, as well as the impact of the electricity that we consume. Um, the net result is uh, in addition to the recycled rainwater and our other uh, technology around the nutrients of, the, of, of what's provided to the plants. Um, I think all of that is important um, in delivering this yield improvement. Um, the great thing about our approach is we don't seek to make every technology. We, we seek to use the best that the world provides. And the good news is uh, there's great technology available today, again, as, as shown in uh, large scale uh, outside the country in Holland. Um, so um, we try to believe that we have the very best system of different types of technologies so that we can produce the best product. Awesome. Thanks so much for answering all our questions today, David. We got to, you know, as many from the chat as we could as well. Lots of people talking about your company in the chat. So again, this is David Lee, the president of App Harvest. Ticker is APPH. Thank you so much, David, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on SPACs Attack. And we look forward to following the progress of your company going forward. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Definitely. We'll Thank have you, you back. All right. See ya. All right, guys. Well, you guys heard it here first on the specs. Attack, baby. Smash that like button if you got some value out of that interview. I know I was definitely interested in hearing things like 30x and, and hearing things like 90% less water usage. When I think of 
uh, of farming. I always think about how we're moving towards kind of, uh, you know, global warming and kind of climate control and trying to help the earth. And I think this is company, this company is approaching it in a sense where they're looking at it, of course, like a business worried about the revenue, but also taking a look at the environment and approaching it in that manner. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, you know, I, I've followed this company from the start, you know, when this was uh, NOVS was the the SPAC, um, you know, to me, indoor indoor growing, right, is huge. And, you know, they started with tomatoes. I think they can expand, as he said, to, to other stuff. You know, the the sustainability, the ESG play here, you know, I, I, I really like it. I like all the, the technology questions that you got in there, Mitch, you know, and the, even that lighting at the end, right? Like, I just, I, I think this was good. I love the central location. And, you know, the, the thing that stood out for me, you know, it wasn't even one of our questions, was him talking about eat local, right? That really made me think. When, when you talk about eating local, you know, going to your, your local, you know, non-chain restaurant, but where are they getting their food from and how local is the, the food that you're eating? I mean, that, that kind of stood out to me. Yeah, you know, one thing I, I, I tried to pay attention to, and I mean, uh, I was paying and I brought up the LEDs because, you know, I, I might have grown my own tomatoes, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So I know I know my LEDs and, and is definitely moving into the industry, but definitely there's a, there's a lot of things they're thinking about supply chain. Um, they're approaching uh an, an aspect where they're including a lot of companies. I, I didn't bring this up. I mean, but I, I'll bring it up right now. I mean, look at all the all, all the partnerships here and kind of organizations that they're working with. Um, they even got all, uh, you know, AI in here, infrastructure, robotics, big data. They're, they're working with some big companies here and, and trying to continue moving on up. And, and I, you know, one thing is, you know, the driving aspect. I mean, just we, we didn't go to specifics here, but, you know, the, the drive to New York City, the drive to the big cities, Atlanta, that's going to help definitely get them the supply chain that they kind of need here to compete with companies like the, you know, the Walmarts and, and other other big companies that are, are have already been established you know, a long, long time in this industry. So they definitely have some competition out there, but it was, it was a pretty interesting investors presentation, um, working on also building on education. They, they, they actually did an investment in, in 2018, 150,000 for high tech, uh, kind of education in high schools in Kentucky and, and, and things like this, I think really just give, a company that establishment in the location and also the support from the, the actual area that they're coming from the location. I think this is all going to benefit them in the long run. And they're definitely prioritizing their workers and kind of the education that they're trying to build. So it was an interesting aspect that I wanted to focus on. Yeah. You know, I, again, I, I really enjoyed hearing, you know, all, all the technology, all that, uh, you know, proprietary stuff, um, you know, the, the getting the 12 fact or 12 facilities, you know, and again, the, the other key with indoor growing is what 365 days a year, right? Like other parts of the U S you do outdoor farming, you, you can't grow tomatoes or a crop, you know, necessarily 365 days a year. So, you know, and I, again, I, you know, I, I, I just want to respond real quick to the chat. I know there was a lot of people in there asking about the stock. The, the stock falling today um, looks like there was a filing. 
guys, you know, we, we ask as many questions as we can of these, these presidents, these CEOs who are nice enough on our show, you know, and take the time out of their schedule. And, you know, we're, you know, so that, that's just not, uh, you know, a question that was going to be addressed today. I haven't even read through that filing. So you weren't ignored, but, you know, at the end of the day, we, we try to ask, you know, the, the questions about the, the technology, the, the company and their growth ahead, not about the share price. Um, so, you know, sorry for anyone who, you know, missed out on that being answered. Hey, Solar Up and Up, uh, I'll give you the shout out. I think you said it best, man. You know, the interview was geared, geared towards learning about the company. Remember what I said when I started, guys? We are unlocking these specs to give you the information you need to make your informed decision if you're going to invest into this company. We're not here to pump stocks. We're not here to day trade these SPACs. That's not what we're here. That's not what we're about, guys. And if that's what you're looking for, then you're probably in the wrong room. But what we're here for is that long-term approach, learning about these companies, and then taking that information and then doing your own DD. You know, this this is not just the first, this is the first step. And that's really what we're trying to help you guys out with is that first step in your research. And then you go more in depth. Then you got to look at the technicals. And then you also got to start timing the story, you know, and that's what it's about. We're essentially giving you the story, but there's other variables that are very important in any open stock, right? It's going to be the fundamentals, the technicals, and how those come into play with the story. And that's what I always bring about, guys. It's it's the three variable look. It's the story, the fundamentals, and the technicals. Because if you don't have all three, then eventually one will struggle. Let's say you're looking good technically. But then the fundamentals don't match. Boom, you take a hit. You're looking good fundamentally and technically, but then the story changes. Boom, you take a hit. Or you got the good fundamentals, the good story, but then you look at the technical chart and you see it you know, just dropping down towards that support. And, and that's can happen, guys. And, and so there's a lot of aspects to trading. And that's what I, I try to do and help you guys with, you know, my man, Chris here with the brains going to give you the information, but I'll try to help you guys really work your own process and develop it as a trader. And that's really what we're trying to do here also is teach you that there's ways to approach these, but we're not here to get you guys entries. We're here to get you the information. And I think that's very important. And if that's what you're here for, definitely guys smash the like up. And, and that's what we're going to continue doing here on SPACs attack guys, because if it was about picks, then yeah, you know, I, I, I could point out every single pick that I've ever made or, or didn't make, and then look at the percentage gains that that doesn't show anything. It's all about process in this life. And if you can go ahead and nail your process down, then that's when you start learning how to use your mathematical probability to get some green, get some wealth. And really, if if that's what you're here for and you're only worried about price, man, then I can tell you right now, you're going to run into a lot of pain because you won't know the full story, the full fundamentals, and the full way to approach kind of investing. And if you're a day trader, then go ahead, do your day trading thing. I've been there. I've taken thousand share trades. Um, you know, I've taken, you know, 10 second trades where I'm only looking for 10 cent uh, of target. But when you're looking for a 10 cent target, you're not really investing. You're not caring about the company. You're only trying to attack the momentum. So, hey, amen. Uh, I agree with you, Thomas. It's about the process, guys, and developing yourself so that you know how you want to approach these. Another thing that I'd mentioned 
just to get off the topic, data, data, data. And that's what's really done me well, guys, is that I understood what I want, guys, what are my rules, and how did I develop that is because I, I, I looked at at my data for personality because your personality plays a part in your data in your trades and once you learn who you are then you can do a lot better in your trades yeah no i mean all about risk tolerance here um you know all about being smart with your investments you know don't don't go chasing everything you know we're, we're not about that here and you know it's, it's about the education right i try to provide you know, as much as I can, the knowledge of the SPAC market, the, the education, the, the, you know, the companies, the, the due diligence, but, you know, and then Mitch can do, you know, fundamentals, the charts, talking about entry points, you know, and adding to the story, you know, we're, we're not going to tell you to buy or sell a certain SPAC. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say which ones I own, I'll say which ones I like, but, you know, otherwise, that's as far as we're going to go, um, you know, but yeah, another great interview here. Uh, you know, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Again, to those of you who didn't get your question answered on the, the offering um, filing today, I hope you still, you know, the interview enjoyable. Please smash the like. Please share this video, um, you know, with your friends or other investors. We are trying to bring more interviews on this show than, than any other SPAC, um, you know, uh, show or, you know, website out there. Um, you know, so again... Uh, you know, stick with us on SPACs Attack. Coming up next, we've got uh, Zinger Nation Power Hour. Looks like they're starting at 12.05. I dropped the link in the chat. Um, so make sure, you know, when we're done here, you switch over to that show. Um, you know, Luke and Jason, they have some great guests lined up. They'll be going through some trade ideas. Um, and I'm sure they'll be recapping that great interview that Benzinga had with Kathy Wood yesterday. So guys, if you missed that, you know, right here on Benzinga YouTube, find the Kathy Wood interview. You know, we got her to talk about, you know, Tesla, Zoom, Amazon, how she started ARC Funds, um, why she sends a daily email out, right? We talk about her daily email, you know, on this show a lot when she's adding SPACs. She addressed that. She, you know, responded to some different things, um, you know, said about her, including some comments from uh, Jim Cramer to, you know, close off her fund to new investors. So great interview. I know a lot of you watched it and enjoyed it. Um, and then programming note tomorrow on our show, we have John Janarone from IPO Edge coming on the show. So you know what better thing to do when the market is down and we're seeing SPACs get hit than to bring on an expert who's been following the IPO market for years to talk about you know SPACs, new SPACs, what it means for the overall market, Maybe he'll have some, uh, you know, trading ideas for us. Maybe he found some SPACs, you know, that recently went public trading, you know, around $10. So I'm really excited about that, uh, that uh, interview. So uh, anything else, Mitch, before we get everyone to head on over to Power Hour? Yeah, guys, you guys want to go ahead and shift on over to Power Hour. I, I heard they're trying, you know, I, I'm not I'm not going to confirm this, but I've heard they're trying to get Portnoy. They, they've been sh shooting out to him, guys. So definitely hit him up on Twitter. Let him know to come to the Power Hour. Ben Zinga is where you'll find it, guys. All right. So one thing I want to do is I want to go ahead and give you guys the link. So let me make sure that that link is live right now. It looks like they're starting up. 
but I'll put the link right here in the chat here, guys. And here's the link to Power Hour. Like always, guys, I'll keep working to help you guys learn a little bit more about how I approach my data. And, and maybe I can get in towards that one day. I know someone in the chat mentioned that. I think it was Napoli, but I'll get into that a little bit deeper. But definitely data, data, data. I can't stress this, guys. I did so much day trading that I, you know, I expanded my data to even looking at different strategies, how I approach it. What was my entry? What are the notes? How, what was I thinking? Did I stick to my plan? Did I stick to the risk analysis? And, and this, this is all a factor that you got to realize because you, sometimes you're going to realize that the risk is, is just too high and your personality doesn't fit for it. And, and that, that's normal, guys. If you're feeling that pressure it, deep in your chest, if you're feeling like you're almost having a heart attack trading, maybe you're trading with a little bit too much size and certain things like that is what you need to learn about your personality and what you can handle and cannot. All right, guys, like always, guys, hit the, hit the like, hit the subscribe bell. We'll keep bringing the SPACs and unlocking everything for you guys. You know, Chris and I, you know, we might have sold a, a position or two, but we're still in. Our, our portfolios are hanging tight, and we'll let you know if we get out some other ones. But at the end of the day, I think this is an opportunity to go ahead and look at your risk assessment, then look for opportunities and why not take some shots? I mean, th that's what I'm doing. And, and I wish you guys the best. Like always, keep working hard. Smash that like and let's get out of here. We'll see you next time, guys, on the SPACs Attack. Ah!